Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's the spookiest time of the year, and Halloween has become a distinctly American holiday. But it wasn't always like this. So in this episode, I sit down for a terrifyingly unscripted chat with Tom Smith to understand where Halloween came from, why it's associated with fear, and why it's so American. Welcome to America, a history podcast. I'm Liam Heffernan, and every week we answer a different question to understand the people, the places, and the events that make the USA what it is today. From the faculty this week, returning is Tom Smith, Professor of American Literature and Culture and Deputy Director of Area Studies at the University of East Anglia. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Liam. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's uh, always great to chat. And uh, I, I guess kind of in keeping with the fact that Halloween itself is a little bit unconventional uh we're we're going a bit off piste with this episode because we're we're less planned than we normally are so uh, to start off tom do you like halloween well i do like halloween and i think what's one of the things that's interesting about halloween is that when i was a kid so stretching back a bit halloween really was not much of a thing in the uk uh and so Halloween was one of those signifiers of Americanness that that I thought was you know particularly interesting. I think it was one of those things that caught your attention as being something that was culturally different. Just endless, endless sitcom specials, Halloween special editions, all those things that that, that made their way across the Atlantic, which seemed very kind of exciting and unusual and unpredictable and fun. Um, and we really did not. We might have got toffee apple from the supermarket. That was that was that was the extent of it, really. So yeah, so 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 uh, so I do like Halloween. I definitely think it's one of those things that that, that stoked my interest in in Americanness. But now, of course, my kids growing up have a completely different different understanding of it. You know, they dress up every year, they go trick or treating. We've kind of completely imported that um, what would have been seen as a very American American celebration when when I was younger. Anyway, mm. yeah, I'm with you. Um, I you know when I was growing up, trick or treating was still a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't something that everyone did. You kind of got maybe like you know, half a dozen knocks at the door through an evening. But yeah, I still remember Halloween being seen as this very American thing. Mm. And it's only, I guess, really in the last sort of 20 years that it's it's taken off on this side of the pond as well. Yeah. Uh, but it's really interesting how we've just kind of absorbed that and just almost like no questions asked, just taking it on board. Uh, <laughs> it always looked fun, didn't it? It's a... Yeah. That's <laughs> but the, I mean, it's that's... a fun holiday. Yeah, and I think there's there's, there's an interesting irony is there, which we'll probably explore as we go along, that in a way we've kind of re-imported it because, you know, it's one of those classic folk holidays which which made its way across the Atlantic, bubbled away for a bit, exploded, and then has come back over this side of the Atlantic with a new American American sheen to it. So so it's, uh, it's a really nice transatlantic case study as well, probably. 
Yeah, and I think we all just think of Halloween as being about, you know, the dressing up, the the trick-or-treating, the parties, and uh, all the stuff that, that kind of comes with in this sort of post-commercialized Halloween. Yeah. But tell us, Tom, you know, what, what is the, the history of, of Halloween and where did it come from? Well, in, in American terms, especially in kind of the early colonial period, there really isn't a Halloween that you can speak of. You know, unsurprisingly, the Puritans around the Northeast are um, for various theological and cultural reasons not that into a holiday which seems to celebrate <laughs> the more spooky aspects of uh, of life so you know any suggestion of consorting with uh, with evil spirits for a fun holiday that's also um, faintly catholic in its associations uh, yeah that was definitely a, a non-starter in um, in much of colonial america so there isn't really much of a, a prehistory of halloween in america if, we, if we're looking for the roots of what becomes an American Halloween, then we're looking to Scotland and Ireland primarily, because it seems clear. I mean, people often want to you know reach back and find a really deep pagan root to to Halloween, which I think is always a bit tenuous. But but we can definitely settle around the fact that there are clearly folk traditions that surround Halloween as a as a, as a moment in the calendar in Ireland and Scotland. So very famously, for example, um, Robert Burns writes a, a poem in the late 18th century um, about Halloween, which details lots of the superstitions and folk traditions that take place um, on Halloween in Scotland in the late 18th century. Now, I think one of the things that's really interesting about Halloween is that it really doesn't look much like anything that we're used to when we think of what does Halloween mean. It's a time of community celebration often, I mean, d- domestically speaking, you're not kind of out on the streets trick-or-treating you know you're in you're you're in your home but what it really surrounds is a number of folk traditions and superstitions about trying to predict who as a young unmarried person you're going to marry that really is at the heart of what Halloween as as a as a folk celebration was in that time period and there are lots of different um aspects to that so some of them would involve um kind of looking in mirrors and saying uh incantations and um your bride or husband-to-be might appear behind you. Lots of things revolving around apple, apples and apple peels. Um, so, you know, you peel, peel an apple in one strip, throw it over your shoulder, and it will fall on the floor of the, in the initial of the person you're going to marry. Um, lots of traditions involving nuts. Um, so you put, put some nuts uh, on, on the hearth of a burning fire, uh, and you watch what they do, and if they, if they explode or if they start burning or if they smolder, these all have different meanings for, for, um, for your future um, health, wealth, and happiness, and particularly for your love life. And, and that is remarkably consistent. And so what we can see in America is that, you know, from the late 18th, early 19th century onwards, you start to get a sense that um, immigrants from Scotland and Ireland have definitely taken those traditions to the new world with them. Right. So that there is still a continuation of those folk customs taking place across the Atlantic in America. But again, very much framed around these kind of divination light spell casting, <laughs> love traditions. Um, so that, so that, that, that carries across throughout the 18th, early, late 18th, early 19th century. And you, you can see that bubbling away in America, but it's not a big deal. And it's definitely lots of regional variation that takes place. And interestingly, if we think about the spookiness of Halloween, right, the idea that, that we have of it, that it's completely melded to a kind of folk, uh, to a horror tradition, to um, horror films, to, to ghost stories, to you know, various types of monsters that association is quite thin as well, because that period, Christmas, was really the time period 
when you would tell ghost stories, right? There is much, a much more vigorous tradition of telling ghost stories at Christmas time across the whole winter, winter festivity period into the new year. Um, so ghost stories on Christmas Eve, yes. Ghost stories on Halloween, not really, not really. Uh, maybe a sense of, of a kind of thinning of the veil between, you know, the living and the dead because of its association with All Hallows, but, but really not a very wedded, wedded tradition of telling ghost stories around that time period, at least at that period. I, I wonder, though, if, you know, because, as you say, it was, it was you know, brought over by Europeans, if there's uh, not so much an element of, in the early days of commercialization of Halloween, but there was first, there had to be this almost Christianization of Halloween in America, where Halloween was then kind of used to sort of look at the these kind of the dirty pagan rituals and like the stuff that was unpure and scary. Um, and actually, it was a way of kind of boxing that in um, right, and addressing yeah. it without kind of feeling like you're doing anything wrong. Yes, yeah, that, 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 there could be something in that, I think. I think I think it's a continuation of, of, of community identity as well, probably amongst amongst migrant communities. You know, that's, I think that's, that's probably a large part of it. Mm. Um, because everyone seems to agree that it's really around the time of the Irish famine where you get m- much larger immigration from Ireland into America that, that Halloween starts to have much more of a, a kind of cultural embeddedness in American life. Um, you can see increasing references to it um, in the newspapers, in magazines, in stories, people playing with those kind of traditions. Probably some suspicion around it, though, still. I think you're right in terms of its um, uh, its its religious identity and its religious meaning, and therefore kind of some suspicions around it, especially as, you know, there is that kind of element of light, light witchery going on. But I think one thing that's, that's, that's also clear is that it's in that immediate post-Civil War period that we can see things coalescing because Civil War, you know, unsurprisingly, is a massive turning point in American life, both, you know, politically uh, in terms of the changes it brings and socially, but, but also culturally. And there is definitely a sense after the Civil War of America looking for communal traditions that bring people together, that in some sense kind of bring the nation together, that are imbued with a sense of nostalgia for, for what seems to some to be a kind of simpler time um, before the war in the early 19th century, a connection to uh, folk traditions from the old world, uh, and also just a, a sense of fascination, an ongoing sense of fascination with, with the past, right? a developing sense of fascination with the past in American life. And so all these things kind of coalesce together to really amplify what have up until this point been quite regionally variant and, and sporadic celebrations. So we can we can lump Halloween in, in a sense, with Thanksgiving and Christmas, which I know we'll talk about <laughs> on other occasions. But you can see that all of those kind of civic expressions of identity really start to cohere and develop um, after the Civil War. And I think there's a great example in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, it's a Brooklyn newspaper, in 1865, so just after the end of the Civil War, the first Halloween after the end of the Civil War, and they actually devote um, a column to thinking about um, to thinking about Halloween um, as a celebration, and in a sense, not necessarily introducing its readers to to this moment in the calendar, but definitely talking about it with a sense that this is something that um, is interesting. So they say that. Um, there is perhaps no night in the year which the popular imagination has stamped with a more peculiar character than this anniversary, 
and it talks about um, the idea that it's the night set a, set apart for the universal walking abroad of spirits, both of the visible and of the invisible world. Uh, it talks about England and Ireland and its um, fireside customs. So it talks about the uh, nuts and apples are everywhere uh, uh, in requisition and consumed in immense numbers. So it, it's kind of painting a picture for its readers of, of what this moment might mean. It's, it's attempting to ferment a sense of, of this being a moment which has a history, which has an interesting folk continuation. And I think probably, again, the mass media helps with that, right? In, the, in that same moment where there is a growing interest in new kind of customs and traditions and, and how they might bring a sense of unifyingness to American life. This is also the time when newspapers and magazines are becoming even more influential in American culture. So, you know, that helps really to spread a national sense of, of this moment. And what I think is particularly delightful is that, um, as, as well as giving this history lesson, about um, Halloween and trying to remind its readers about um, what it is. They also they also give you a Halloween parody of uh, "Twas the Night Before Christmas," so it's uh, "Twas the Night of All Hallows," when Goblin and Sprite were to roam. It is said on that terrible night. So there we go, and then on it goes into uh, into an evocative portrait of of Halloween. So so I think that's a really good a good example of the way that in this immediate post Civil War moment, uh, things are coalescing, and Halloween is definitely becoming something that people are paying more more interest and attention to. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When then do you think that it, it became what it is today? Because it, it feels like from what you're saying that Halloween, there was a nostalgia to it. There was a sort of a, a reminiscing, a looking back to days before the Civil War. And that's, I guess, the root of a lot of things that we celebrate even today. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a nostalgia to them. But Halloween has become so much more than that now. It's about, you know, it's about the the, the materialistic things, you know, the the yeah. sweets, the dressing up, the parties, you know. Yeah. Where did that happen? We, oh, you can, I mean, you can see that that late 19th, through the late 19th century, the, the consumption around all of these holidays becomes more of a, a theme. You know, you get increasing industrialization, urbanization, and, and commercialization goes along with that. Late 19th century, I think you get a sense that Halloween becomes quite a riotous public affair. You know, you get you, you get far more uh, accounts of young, groups of young people playing pranks, um, creating chaos of one form or another in life, local environments and, you know, taking taking it to the streets in that sense, which is not unlike what happens with Christmas, because Christmas starts off in the beginning of the 19th century as very much a kind of public public street party. Yeah, I mean, that's true on both sides of the Atlantic. The Christmas is about, you know, being in the streets, drunk on revelry in the streets, going from house to house, you know, demanding drink or money or food or, you know, all three potentially. But Sounds that great. Gets, yeah, there we go. You can bring <laughs> it back. Yeah, <laughs> that, But that gets domesticated and um, contained. And you, you can see the same thing happen to Halloween, really. The, the late 19th century, you know, it, it develops its reputation as being a, a, a moment of chaos. And I think that that still continues in parts of America. You know, you have Devil Night, Mischief Night in, in different parts of the states where uh, not even necessarily on Halloween, but around around that day, October 30th in some places where, you know, there is still kind of that kind of anarchy and, and chaos that, that that takes place. But you get the sense that late ni- very late 19th century, turn of the century and into the early 20th century, Halloween starts becoming a holiday primarily directed at 
children. And I think that sense of, of con- consumption and consumerism goes along with that. So, for example, in 1895, Kindergarten magazine, which you know seems like an interesting um, guide to uh, to the, the changing status of, um, of of the holiday, suggests that um, you know this is a time where a few days should be given to the spirit of Halloween. Then, if at any time, may fun and frolic reign. Uh, so that's from 1905. So you can see that, that that children are being pushed forward as the focus of, of of Halloween. So the dressing up, the trick or treating, the school parties, which develop into community parties. Uh, I think as a way to kind of push back against probably the um, that more anarchic sense of of, of the evening that develops um, elsewhere. And I think that the, the consumption goes goes hand in hand with that. But again, I think the 1950s seem to be a really important pivot point as well. You know, post World War Two, you've got uh, an American culture with a with a burgeoning youth population, and also a burgeoning consumer culture that that go hand in hand together. And that really seems to be the time where what we might think of as a, as a really recognisably modern Halloween takes shape. You know, that's that's the the point at which there's a critical mass of of, of young Americans who are deeply engaged in the consumer a consumer culture that is wrapped up around around the holiday. So yeah, so I think that that seems to, to be a moment that really um, pushes things forward again in, in, in what we understand as being Halloween. Yeah. And do you, without wanting to sound too much like a, a prude with this question, um, is Halloween a responsible holiday? Because it still feels <laughs> even today like it promotes these sort of slightly anarchic values. And yeah. just just wrapped in a bit more tradition and uh, and sort of formality. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I think I think probably what's that speaks to the fact that Halloween, arguably, is one of the more multifaceted of of, of these kind of public moments, because Halloween really does mean a lot of different things to to different people. So it, it, you know, it can be kind of you know anarchic public drunkenness and bad behaviour. It can be grotesque horror. But it can also be very light. It can also be very child-focused still. Um, so I think it does have a lot of, of, of different different places in American culture, really, that, that have all been transported in probably quite an interesting translation around the world. So, uh, you know, I, I think probably Americans often think that we don't really get Halloween still as much as we have imported it, you know, wholesale. So I think that, they're, you know, that, that that's part perhaps of the problem. Maybe we d- probably don't understand Halloween still <laughs> in the same way that Americans would. And of course, you know, it's still very controversial in some senses. You know, there's plenty of religious groups who who don't like Halloween, who do think of it as, um, you know, being uh, tinged with dark forces um, in a number of ways. But ultimately, I think probably the reason, one of the reasons that it abides is because it does still provide a sense of, of of community that I think you don't necessarily get much in modern life anymore. You know, most most major celebrations have become very, you know, domestically focused, turned inwards on on the family. So we don't really have you know massive public Christmas celebrations anymore in the way that that people would have done throughout the nineteenth century. You know, we don't really have have those those moments of community cohesion shaped around these holidays. But but with Halloween, you do. You know, th- even I think that's one of the interesting things about its importation to this culture. Halloween is one of the few times when I'm taking my kids around to our neighbours' houses that you actually get to see some of your neighbours. So I think there is there is that sense of it as being a, a communal moment, potentially, where 
people you know give things out to their neighbors willingly or maybe unwillingly sometimes but nonetheless <laughs> you know if, if you want to engage with it you can engage with it and you are giving you are giving things to your neighbors in a way that you know we don't often do anymore that would perhaps make us quite uncomfortable without that mechanism to do it so so i think it does have an interesting kind of civic community role to play as much as it can also be you know uh, a problematic festival probably yeah i i, I was going to ask really what is it about Halloween and what is it about being scared that we seem to enjoy so much? But I guess it's not really about that. It's, it's Halloween's, as you say, it's come from, it's really a children's holiday. Um, Mm. It feels like this idea of, you know, fear and, you know, the horror movies and the, the sort of the grotesque aspect of Halloween has, has been more of a, a kind of consequence of the holiday rather than the sort of roots of it. Yeah, yeah, I think they're, they're definitely pushing pushing on an element that's perhaps always been there, but have definitely turned up the volume on that. I mean, perhaps there's something about about making the strange and the grotesque and unfamiliar somehow um, approachable and mm. um, even cute, <laughs> and uh, and uh, dis, you know, I guess it disarms potentially uh, yeah. some of those more uh, some of the darker elements of it. I guess it's in the same way that you would you would go and see a horror film, and and it's almost a safe space to to feel those things and to mm. and to you know challenge yourself and to to experience fear, um, because you know at the end of that film you leave the theater and that's it. There's no there's no danger. Halloween almost does the same thing on a maybe slightly more immersive scale. <laughs> yes, slightly glitch- more glittery scale. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask uh, if you think that there will ever be a kind of a fizzling out of Halloween because as you mentioned earlier it, it it was kind of there were certain external triggers like the end of the civil war very much the the, the moment that America was in as a nation that that helped to sort of force this this growth spurt in the celebration of Halloween do you think there will ever be a pivot where that will fade out well it doesn't seem particularly likely I think one thing you can say is that um I think there have been peaks and troughs in relation to how much America engages with it, even in recent times. I mean, there have famously been you know, a whole host of conspiracy theories about people tampering with, with food that they're giving out and trick-or-treating, the, the kind of iconic razor blades in apples and um, chemically laced handy, uh, candy treats, which, which I think still pop up from time to time, as uh, uh, I think have predominantly been urban myths, but um, but had a kind of sticking power in some sense, which which interestingly kind of pushes against that idea of, um, or is an attempt to push against that, the kind of communality, I guess, of Halloween, you know, that it's you know, attempting to inculcate suspicion in your, in your neighbours again. <laughs> and I think, again, the pandemic, I think, probably um, put a dent in it to a certain degree. I think that that seems to have limited trick-or-treating that sense of, you know, our neighbours being contaminating in some sense. So best best to avoid them. But I think by all reports, the last couple of years have seen things kind of bounce back. I think we're, uh, spending levels uh, in America are over $10 billion a year at this point, which um, seems pretty robust um, for an industry. And I think there, there continues to be innovation in that kind of uh, sphere of immersive Halloween experience. And, you know, there is something about the seasonality of it because it seems so tied in now to what I think has come to be a kind of festive quarter of the year, in a sense that that Halloween is not just a, a moment in and of itself, but Halloween is the the moment at which the kind of autumn winter nonstop celebration extravaganza begins. Uh, you know, we move from from spooky season right into into Christmas music, really. With and Americans obviously have a have a 
have a have a stopping off point at Thanksgiving as well. So so it does seem to be so firmly integrated into what has become a, a kind of three month consumer period that, that starts with Halloween on October first, really, and you know often I think people creep the uh, the decorations in before that, uh, and in sometime you know around the New Year twelfth night really. So you know I think in the way that we've 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 um, embedded these uh, celebrations in our life in the uh, in the 21st century really it seems unlikely that, that, that that's going to be unpicked anytime soon this episode of america a history podcast was produced edited and hosted by me liam heffernan a special thanks to my guest this week, Professor Tom Smith. And if you enjoyed what you heard, do check out some of the extra resources that we've popped in the show notes. Additionally, a lot of work goes into the making of this podcast. So if you could leave a review or a rating wherever you're listening, that would be amazing. Next time, we look at a classic novel to understand the real reality of slavery as we ask, what does Kindred tell us about plantation life? Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.